welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind everyone to get signed up for the ABCA Virtual Convention January 6th through the 10th. You can do that at www.abca.org. We've been planning this event since June, and we are excited to get the event going. With our planning, we wanted to get the event as close as we could to the on-site convention. We just finished recording all 36 of our main stage and youth stage speakers here in Greensboro. It will be everything that you love about the on-site with main stage, youth stage, exhibit area, expo theater, and hot stoves. We have over 100 exhibitors signed up, so this will still be an opportunity for you to save on all your needs for your team or your facility. Please support those exhibitors that support us. They are the reason we are able to keep our dues and convention as the lowest of any association. There's so many great opportunities to grow as an educator during the convention. Anyone that signs up will have all the videos in their account a week after the event. The convention area will also be open for six months after the event, so that's a huge plus. Feel free to reach out to me at rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or via the MyABCA app if you have any questions on the convention. This will be something you want to experience firsthand. We're using the hashtag, hashtag in the front row right now. If that's something you like, let me know. As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast are the ABCA Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award recipients, Lance Spigner and Ryan McGinnis. For those of you who don't know who Dave Kylitz is, he was the ABCA Executive Director from 1994 to 2014. He was also one of us, coaching at Central Michigan for 14 years and served as Athletic Director at Central Michigan for 10 years. Coach Kylitz is a 1989 ABCA Hall of Famer and a huge reason why the ABCA is where it's at today. The whole organization owes a show of gratitude to Coach Kylitz. He was also a mentor of mine as a young coach. I could always reach out to Coach Kylitz, and he would always return my phone calls and have enjoyed our talks at the ABCA convention. First up on the podcast is University of Arkansas Rich Mountain head coach Lance Spigner. He's going into his second season with the brand-new junior college program at UA Rich Mountain. He's coming off a very successful 28-year high school coaching career at Horatio High School. 28 seasons at Horatio, Coach Spagner had over 500 wins, 14 state tournament Final Four appearances, and five state titles. The second half of the episode is with Kimberly High School Athletic Director and Head Baseball Coach Ryan McGinnis. Coach McGinnis has 345 career victories, and Kimberly has nine state tournament trips and two state titles. Let's welcome Lance Spagner and Ryan McGinnis to the podcast. Here with Lance Spigner, head coach at New Juco here, University of Arkansas, Rich Mountain, uh, 1992 to 2019, head coach at Horatio High School, five state titles. Uh, thanks for coming on with me, Lance. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. We're just talking off air, um, and, and we'll get into the switch going from high school to, to junior college, but what are your thoughts on being named the ABCA Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award recipient? Uh, I was, I'm extremely honored um with the award Ryan and and blessed that, that I would be nominated for it you know I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the ABCA um and just everything it stands for 
and then I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of that and that someone would consider me for the Dave Kylitz Award is uh, it's really special to me. Yeah, Coach Kylitz, uh, obviously it's it's Craig's dad, but he's done so much for the organization, and those are some of my best memories when I was a young coach of reaching out to Dave when he was the executive director and um, always getting back to me and um, always being willing to help. So I've always appreciated Dave and what he's done for the organization. No doubt. Who inspired you to get into coaching? My dad. Uh, my dad was a coach for around 25 years or more uh, in both Texas and Arkansas. And he was uh, really more of a football coach and a baseball coach, but he coached baseball too. And he was really good at, at both things. He, uh, He's always kind of been my role model and, you know, just growing up around the game with him and then having him as my coach in the summer. Um, so that, that, that my, you know, the, he's really the, the driving force behind this. And, and I knew pretty early on, this is what I wanted to do. How are your interactions playing for him? It, really good. I mean, he was, uh, he was really pretty much hands off as far as uh, he was the opposite of overbearing. I mean, he, he would only help me when I asked for it. And, you know, he was, my dad's a really good people person. So he, he knows how to handle, handle people. And he did a really good job, I think, raising my brother and I. Uh, so he was, he was really good to play for. Do you feel like that helped you when you went to Central Arkansas? I think so. I was, uh, I ran into some guys there that, that played a large role in me growing up a little bit. Uh, but he, I certainly, he got me off to a good start. And then, I met some guys there that kind of took me under their wing. Some of those guys went into high school coaching uh, also. Some of the big names in Arkansas high school coaching, they kind of took me under their wing and, and kind of led me along, uh, which, you know, kind of helped to mold me to what I am today. And then when you got to ratio, did you spend any time as an assistant? No, that then that's kind of a funny story. You know, everything goes full circle. I'm working with a guy here now at the college. His name is Tracy Neely. He is he's coaching the softball team, the Buck softball team, and he is when we were actually playing slow pitch softball together. Um, after our, after I finished playing at UCA, and he he mentioned that they had a job open. And he said then that it was uh, it was an assistant baseball job, assistant football job, and I would be his baseball assistant. Well, the whole time, you know, he he's working out the plan. He wants to get out of baseball and. By the time I showed up in August to take a job, it was head baseball. So I was the 21 or 22-year-old head coach of the Horatio Lions. And, and the whole time, I think Trace was kind of working it out to where he was going to get out of it. And I was going to – he just didn't want to tell me that, I guess. And now here we are. You know, we both retired from high school athletics and we're – all these years later, we're working together here at the college. Who were some of your mentors then when you first got into it with the coaching side of it? Probably, you know, to start off, I was really blessed when I started off, I did my student teaching under two legendary coaches in central Arkansas uh, at Conway high school. And one of them was Noel Boucher and his pitching coach was uh, Barry Luters. And I, I'm a little bit introverted and was really quiet probably then more so now than, than now. Then I'm not sure they ever heard me say a word and they wasn't, I don't think real sure they were, they were real sure I was going to make a coach after all, but I did my student teaching there and learned so much just in the spring of helping those guys with their high school baseball team uh, so much of that, even things that I use today just in that semester. So, you know, the guy, the guys that coached me growing up, 
uh, through my summer leagues were a tremendous influence. And then I got off to a good start with those guys. What are some of the and things, I, what are some of the things you're still using now that you were using back then? We use, I mean, things like our, our hold system for holding runners on base. Um, it's the same thing I learned from them back in whatever year that was 91 or 92. And then, uh, there's so many other things that is the principles hitting that he uses and he's still a guy he and my dad are both guys that i still call um and kind of help lead me down the right path or when i need advice on something those are two of my first phone calls to those guys with talent being so cyclical at the high school level how were you able to sustain the type of success that you had i mean 18 district titles five state championships how were you able to sustain that type of success that's a good question. I, the um, one thing was we had good players. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but year in and year out. And, but we also, I think, you know, we kind of had a systematic process for the way we did pretty much everything. Uh, and guys knew, you know, we would start, we would get the best players or some of the best players in the school system would come out as managers for us, even as early as in elementary school. And they would kind of learn our system and, that way, you know, we kind of brought guys up through the system and from the time we got them as managers or as ninth graders. We, you know, everything that we did pretty much had a system we tied it back to. Uh, and, and guys that, I guess, you know, like in any program, it's, it's well organized. I, I hope ours was, was well organized. Is that the guys who, by the time they graduated, could pretty much teach our system to the young guys. And that's one thing that, you know, that helped. And then we were, I don't know, just the area that I coached in uh, for so long, it was a, a rural area, country kids, they knew how to work hard and they weren't scared of hard work. I mean, we, we worked hard, so they kind of embraced that. They had success in baseball. It just kind of grew from one year to the next. They just kind of passed the baton on. And I was just glad to be a part of it. When did you start the manager program? Because that's a great idea, by the way. I'm not sure exactly when we did that, but I, I had – you know, honestly, I had kids that would that graduated from high school, and they literally would have spent eight or nine years in the baseball program. That's awesome. From the time they were managers to the time they graduated, and they, the teachers worked with us at elementary as long as they were keeping their grades up and their parents were okay with it. They would actually travel with us. They would check out a class and hop on the bus and travel with us to games. Uh, it was kind of like a little high school minor league system in some respects. Well, you're building a tradition that way with the young guys. Yeah, it was. We enjoyed having those guys around, and it helped. You know, it, it kind of helps your older guys too. They they get to kind of lead and guide those guys, and and hopefully act right in front of them, uh, trying to set a good example. So it, it worked out well for us too. Was there anything special about those five state title teams? Well, they were all special, and, and in different ways. Now, I'm not sure we were. If you were to, if somebody were to take odds on it. We were the favorite in any of the games that we played. Um, a lot of those teams were overachievers, just dirtbag type guys that you know came together individually on paper. We may not have beaten anybody that we were matched up with in the state championship games year in year out, but together you know, they came together to make something much bigger than than they were as a unit than than they were as individuals. Did you have a set offensive philosophy? year in and year out, or did it adjust? Yeah, and I was I was talking with a guy about this yesterday. To me, one of the secrets, I don't know if it's a secret or not, but the, one of the keys to winning high school baseball games to me is 
is you need to try to be the attacker as much as possible. Um, whether it be, you know, a system to hold runners on base, a pickoff system where you put their base runners on their heels, or if you use momentum steal system to put their defense on their heels is whatever you do is you're always, you know, trying to put pressure on the opponent, even if it's something as small as making an adjustment with two strikes and, and in high school baseball, getting the ball out there and play somewhere and giving them a chance to, to mess up. So we, you know, we wanted our everything, everything we did, our pitchers, we wanted them to be the attackers, uh, pound strike zone, be the attackers and just try to go at the opponent and get them back on their heels a little bit. Did you spend much time with your guys on two strike approach? We did. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's one of the keys. I think two, two big keys offensively in high school baseball or that, you know, you need to score the runner from third base with less than two outs and not, not put the pressure on the guy coming up to get the two out RBI. Um, just to take a little bit off, maybe put the ball in play there. And then the same thing, you know, kind of ties in with that is with a two strike approach is we still want to do some damage, but we don't, we want to break up that game of pitch and catch between their pitcher and their catcher and make their high school defense make plays. I was fortunate to play for Quentin Merkel at Memorial High School in Indiana. He also coached Don Mattingly, but you were not going to play if you struck out. You wouldn't. You, He may let you go for a little bit, but if you're going to strike out, you aren't going to – you're going to be on the bench. So you figured out yeah. quick you better put the ball in play with two strikes. Yeah. Now you have great career in high school, and then what, what's the impetus there for taking on a new challenge? Because not a lot of guys would do that. So what's the impetus there for taking on a new challenge and going to a – a brand new junior college program. So I thought, you know, all along, I thought it would be cool to, in Arkansas, you can retire for 28 years. And I thought when I got to at my 28 in, I could draw my retirement and go maybe be somebody's partial paid assistant or volunteer assistant somewhere, just live on my retirement. And then, you know, I, I loved, obviously I, I loved where I was. I loved Horatio High School. I stayed there for 28 years. It's the only job I ever had before this one. So it wasn't that. It was just the fact that, this was something I thought it would be really neat to do. Um, and then the guys from UA Rich Mountain reached out to me. And, uh, you know, I guess the got to be a whole lot bigger enchilada than it was when I started with. So instead of being somebody's assistant, I was going to start a brand new program. Uh, but there was a tremendous need in this area, this region for of Arkansas, especially for a good junior college baseball option. And, whether I was the one who was going to do it or somebody else, I was really excited about the program starting. Well, I just I saw your indoor facility on Twitter. That there's a lot of Division One programs out there that don't have that type of facility. It's going to be really nice. It's uh, and our, our administration is is just fantastic here. I mean, the support we get and the facilities that they're building, all the athletic programs. We started athletics. I guess three years ago now with cross country and then men's and women's soccer last year and baseball and softball are starting this year. And we've got tremendous support by our administration. You know, the indoors, I mean, it's going to be super nice. 150 by 150 turf area with a full infield inside of it and, and then brand new, you know, natural grass playing services that are baseball and softball fields. If you're going to give some advice, say there's a guy out there right now that, or a girl out there right now that's got to start a program from scratch, what are some of the keys for starting something from scratch? Well, I've only been through it once, so I'm not sure I'm the expert <laughs> to go to on that. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's fresh in your mind. You just had yeah, to do it. There's a lot. I was 
I guess I was just smart enough. I was just smart enough to realize there's a lot I don't know. Um, but there are, there is more that I don't know than I thought than I thought. So this, it's been a tremendous learning experience starting this because not only we're having to start a program and order uniforms and think about travel and all that stuff like that is we're now, um, you know, we're now moving to a level with different rules and regulations and uh, we're going to recruit athletes for the first time. So it's, it's been a little bit honestly like drinking out of a fire hose. Uh, but luckily I've had, I know a lot of guys in the college game that, that I've developed relationships with and I can call those guys and rely on those guys because there is something, literally something every day that comes up um, that you really can't, you weren't expecting. And then, so I guess my biggest piece of advice for somebody that is starting a program is you need to find you some mentors if you don't have them and be able to reach out to those guys or, or find some of those guys because there, there are a lot of people willing to help. That's luckily I've been in it long enough. I know people, but that's, that to me is the biggest key as far as anything, success in anything is having mentors and guys who've kind of walked the path before that can help lead you down it. That's the great thing about baseball. If you, if you're willing to pick up the phone or send an email to somebody they're they're going to get back to you because they're going to want to help. There's no doubt. I mean, that's one of my favorite parts about being in this fraternity of coaches is baseball guys are so willing to help each other. Um, even, even guys you play, you know, you battle against a couple of times a year. What are some other tips? I mean, how, what type of roster size you guys got? Started out with 40, um, 40 guys. And, and at one point we had 36 freshmen and four sophomores <laughs> uh, with it being a brand new program. So uh, that, that in itself is interesting and provides some challenges some, some days, uh, but I enjoy it. Um, so that, that's where we are. We're, you know, we're, as we're recording this, we're in its final exam week. So, um, we're hoping we get, retain all those guys and, and we're looking to pick up a few more, even over the break. Yeah. That's a good thing with junior colleges. You can, you can fill in with the break at the break with, with either transfers or bounce backs too. That's right. You never know what's going to happen with, with D one guys here at the break. Cause there, yeah. there might be a few guys looking for places to play at the break. And then when will you start back up in the spring? We, after the convention, we'll roll back in uh, and start the first week of January. And then we, uh, at the end of that month, like the last two days of that month, we'll open up, we go to Paris, Texas and open, you know, we start the season down there to our first spring ever on the field. Coach Cox? Yes, sir. He's a good man. Good he man, good, good friend. Hey, what are what are some characteristics of the best coaches you've been around? Well, they they're all good with people. That's probably the first thing. They're they know how to build relationships. They know how to read people. Um, they know how to approach people in a way that people are receptive to the instruction or the ideas that they're giving to them. And then you know, people who are organized and also have knowledge of what they're trying to teach. Um, it's one thing, you know, just like they. Like they, you've always heard, and they always say it's one thing to know how to do something; it's another thing to to be able to get that point across to somebody else. And 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 when that the best ones I've ever seen, when that first point or second point or third point still doesn't get across, they know different ways to approach teaching something to somebody, and they can adapt. So finally, they'll like you see the light bulb go off 
to me, the best coaches have the ability to do that. For a young coach that's looking in to get into the profession, what are some tips that you have for him? Yeah, I mean, find, as we mentioned earlier, mentors to me is a huge, just a huge deal. And, and then also there are some tremendous resources now available online, you know, with the ABCA videos, the podcast. Uh, there's so many chances that we didn't have when I first started coaching 30-something years ago that, you know, you can hop on a mower now and, and put your earbuds in and, and not only, you know, spend some time on the baseball field, but walk off of the field a smarter person from there's so many ways to gain the access today. So I, I would, you know, take advantage of that. And just as a young guy, realize that there are more than one ways to skin a cat and that sometimes you may have a really good system for doing something, but you may stumble on a better way to do it, or if not that, a better way to communicate what you're already trying to do. Uh, so, you know, be willing to learn, be a lifelong learner, uh, to me would also be a really big key. Now that you're not coaching high school anymore, what tips do you have for high school parents? You know, the – I guess one of the, the best tip I've ever seen or read is, and I'm not sure where it started originally. I've seen it several times. The, the most important words you can say to your child after they play is, I love to watch you play. And that's, we mentioned my dad earlier, uh, how he was pretty much a, he was hands off unless I asked for it. He knew when to, to give me help, knew when to prod me, that sort of thing. And, but he was kind of like that as the, you know, the, the most important words you can say instead of getting in the car and critiquing the game all the way home is just, you know, did you have fun? And then, you know what, man, I, I love to watch you play. That, that to me, is the, the best piece of advice you give a set of parents. What's the best way for a high school parent to get involved with the program? Just reach out to the, the coach and the coaching staff and see if they have needs and then where you might be fulfilling a need that the program has, whether it be – you know, keeping the scoreboard or anything, a fundraising or anything like that is just kind of see what you can do. Um, high school guys are always looking for, you know, you may be a guy who has a connection at, at a food processing plant where you can get the food donated for the fundraiser, the chicken dinner or something like that. Just, uh, just reach out to those guys and see what they need and we're always looking for help. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> That's at every level of baseball. You know, just it it makes a huge difference if you have anybody that's willing to help your program. No doubt. Do you have a fail forward moment? Something you th thought maybe along the way that was going to set you back, but looking back now is one of the best things that happened to you. Yeah, the, I mean, you know, you, the losses. You know, we're in we're we've been in seven state championship games, and I'm not sure I didn't learn more and grow more as a man from the the two that we lost. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, the five we won were fun. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, I mean, the growth potential is there failing forward even when you lose. And I'm not sure the you – know, we, we tried to go back-to-back -back in 97 and 98. We had a really good team in 98. Um, and then we got beat in the finals. And that was you – know, as far as athletics is concerned, it's – on the grand scale of things, it's, it's not that important. But it was one of the longest summers – of my life because I hurt for those guys and that, that was that group was so talented um 
but uh, in hindsight, looking back on that, is that did more as far as making me the man, you know, a man and the man that I am now than than probably some of the games that we won, no doubt. For sure. You have any morning or evening routines that you like? I like to, you know, we lift in the morning and then I usually try to work out in the morning too. And then I like to, I like to do my practice plan first thing in the morning. So I was lucky for years. I had first period off conference period, first period or an athletic director period, first period where I can make out the very first thing I could do when I came in was to make out practice for that day. And then usually I would send that out. I would either post it in the hall at school when I was in the high school setting or send it out in a group messaging app to where all those guys know, you know, what they're, what they're doing. It used to make the teachers sometimes would get angry with me. Um, not really angry, but because the, all the players were, as soon as second period started or the break between first and second period, all the players would come to the bulletin board and would be reading what was going on in practice that day. And the teachers were, you, you can imagine, they're like, if I get them to pay this much attention to what we're doing in class, we they were telling them what we could do on our testing. Uh, but I like to get that out of the way first. And then uh, now, then we, uh, you know, we take care of business before lunch, answering the emails and, and doing the recruiting, reaching out to those guys, and then try to go set up after lunch and get ready for early work to start practice. And then the great thing about now being in the college game is – we can practice in the fall, you know, full team practice in the fall uh, within our guidelines. And then, of course, getting ready to start in the spring, too. So it's – you don't have to worry about being the, the athletic director or being a junior class sponsor and going to build the floats. It's, it's pretty much from lunch on, it's it's baseball time, so, which is just fantastic. Yeah, it's a nice switch, isn't it? It is. It is. Has that been the, probably the biggest thing that you've enjoyed switching from high school to college? I would say that that is the the biggest thing I've enjoyed in the switch is that we can you – know, I love baseball practice. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm kind of strange. I've always – I've enjoyed practice as much as I've enjoyed games. So, and I love I making out practice. Yeah. So, getting to do that now, you know, the small school – I, I was in the small, small high school, small school setting for so long and having a limited amount of athletes because we shared so many athletes. And then, uh, you know, really sometimes not getting – the full team until basketball ended in, you know, mid-February or later. And now that we can, we can hop out on the field, you know, basically year round uh, with a baseball team. And it's fantastic. It's like, it's almost like it's Christmas season all year long. I get to practice baseball all the time. Who introduced you to the ABCA? I think I'm, I'm almost positive. It was coach Bowser and coach Lou, the two guys that I mentioned from Conway high school earlier. Um, I can remember sitting down from them at one of the conventions in Dallas. It was one of the first ones I attended early on. And we were sitting on the same row with those guys. So it's – I can't really – it's not. It's hard to answer that because it was, you know, almost 30-something years ago. But uh, I, I think that's who it was because that's my earliest memories in Dallas, sitting on a row with those guys. What, are, what have been some of your best memories of the convention? And there's so many things, learning. I mean, the, the, this, there are so many things that I brought back from the convention that literally changed our season. I mean, it, it changed our seasons for the better and things that I've used and would be so excited to take back and get to show our guys. Um, 
and I could I could mention some of those things, but I would leave somebody out or <laughs> don't get into that. But I mean, there's so many guys that have helped me, and you know, I've been able to develop a relationship with with some of the speakers there. Reach out to those guys, and and now you know can actually sit down with them and and kind of brainstorm at the convention and breakout sessions, uh, which has been really really special. I mean, that's you know the I love I mean. I love the convention and, and, and the speakers. I I could literally spend every hour of every day I'm there in the exhibits. I love the exhibits too. And it's I can't wait to get in there. Um and but probably my favorite part is being able to break off later in the evening and with guys you know and just kind of have a hot stove baseball session on your own. Yeah, that's the good thing about the virtual is we still have the exhibitors in there. So you're still going to be able to do that. You're still going to be able to interact with the exhibitors and with the hot stoves and everything we have going on at night. Uh, we're still going to have a lot of those same interactions. What are you looking forward to with the virtual? That's what I'm just, I'm, I'm the fact that I can kind of in the comfort of my own home, my office, um, stretch out here and watch it. I mean, that that's exciting that we're not just, going to tank it and take the year off we still have the opportunity to even in these trying times to go through the you know through the convention and learn and be able to see the exhibits and, and everything that it entails with it yeah I'm, I'm excited for everybody to experience it because we've put a lot of work into it to make sure it's going to be great for everybody so I'm, I'm really excited we're you know, a little, a little over a month out here um, and you know as everything's starting to get tightened up here. It's going to be great. I'm excited of how everything is, has turned out and um, it's going to be a great experience for everybody. What are your final thoughts? Well, I mean, it, once again, it, 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 I'm honored uh, that I would be nominated for this and just everything that it stands for. I'm honored to be a part of this organization. You know, I speaking of exhibits, I talked to an exhibitor one time and at the ABCA convention and he said, I don't know how this ever got, we got started on this topic, but he said something about going to lunch. He said, baseball coaches are different, uh, different than other conventions. So we can leave, you know, we can leave all this stuff on this counter and it's all gonna be here when we get back. So to me, that's, that just says a lot about baseball coaches. And he was, he was bragging on baseball coaches that, that they're just kind of a different bunch. And the fact that that someone recognize me out of everybody for an award like this is is very humbling and like i said i'm just honored well i'm pulling for you here this spring so i wish you the best and i'll see you here in about a month at the convention all right i appreciate it thank you very much yep. here with ryan mcginnis uh athletic director head coach at kimberly high school um assistant at xavier for a while head coach at oshkosh north 26 year abca member on the ethics committee and also on the high school divisional chair committee. Yes, I am. Yeah. So thanks for being here with me. Oh, thanks for having me. Love, love the ABCA and, and forever indebted for what this organization has, has done for me and in my career, both, you know, not just as a coach, but just in life, it's just been, been something that I've just, I'm so thankful that I, I got involved with right away because I was with a great coach in the beginning. So hopefully I can do that to other coaches. Who, who did introduce you? Uh, John Morey, coach Morey 
was my collegiate coach. And then he uh, I ended up coaching with him at Xavier University in Cincinnati. So he's in my something. notes. We'll get around to Coach Mora here in, in a little right. bit. Yeah, he's, he's special. What are your thoughts on being named the ABCA uh, Dave Kylitz Ethics Award winner? Oh, a lot of thoughts, you know, um, just, you know, probably the first thought is just not deserving. You know, he's just such a, it's such a um, neat award and such a special award because it embodies the type of person you are. So you, you, you know, I don't feel worthy. And I say that in a sense of not trying to be overly humble, but just, um, but I also think it's a good message. I think my message to some of my coaches, you know, the coaches in my area that I'm close with is just, this is not some superhuman who won it. It's a person who makes mistakes and screws up, but tries to do the right thing. And, and uh, while doing that understands um, success and also understands failure. And so I think my journey has been pretty, pretty special in that I was not an overly talented player. I was blessed with great coaches, with great parents, um, great teams that I was a part of. I sat on the bench some seasons in my career, both high school and collegiate, high school wise and collegiately. And I played every game, high school and collegiately. And so I, you know, I remember listening to a, an interview when I was in college, I was a big fan of the Arizona fall league and Terry Francona talked Now Terry Francona was a really good player, but he, one of the things he said about managing this when he, he was with Birmingham and he was managing the fall league and just said, I think what, what separates me as a manager is, is I kind of understand what it's like to be the star player as well as a utility player. And uh, I think that comment in a much lesser, you know, never, never a professional player, but I get that scope and range. And I played NAIA baseball. I won state championships in high school, um, played NAIA baseball, coached division one baseball. My brother played junior college baseball. So I feel like I've kind of seen the whole scope. I've been around the game my whole life. And, and so um, it's no superhuman being. It's just trying to do the right things and, and understanding the game's very humbling never think you're so smart or above it or, or know all the answers and, and treat people the right way. And, and uh, so it's special award for sure. And I'm very, very honored. Was coach Maury the first one that said, Hey, maybe you ought to think about getting into coaching. Um, well, he was the first loud voice, you know, my high school coach, Bruce Erickson is a, is a hall of fame high school coach played at Wisconsin and, and, uh, you know, one of Wisconsin's best of all time. Matt and I played against each other. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, no, I didn't yeah, know Yeah, when he was at Arkansas, I was at Evansville, and then he and I played against each other in the CICL. He was at Danville, I was at Evansville, and then we played against each other in the Cape. So Matt's oh, nice. a good kid, man. He's awesome. Yeah, he is great. So Matt and I played a year together in high school. I'm a little older than he was, or he is, and uh, um, we won a state championship my senior year, which was special. And, and Matt was a, a big part of that. And, but coach Erickson, I had a lot of respect for, I still do have a lot of so much respect for him. So, I mean, he had, he had kind of alluded to it at times. And I certainly, you know, paid a great deal of attention to him. And, and my dad was a JV coach when I was younger. And, but when I was in college, my freshman year before going home for Christmas, we had our kind of a, a final sit down. We had a false, a post fall sit down with our head coach, coach Maury. And then before I went home for Christmas, I sat down with him and, and he said, you know, I've never asked a freshman this before, but when you're done playing, I'd love for you to coach with me. And I, I was really honored. I, I had a, I had a rough freshman year playing wise. So that was, that was pretty special to take home and, and, uh, and think about. And, and I always, I, I wanted to coach or scout um, or get into baseball in some way, shape or form. So that was pretty neat. Cause I had the utmost respect for him and, and how he, you know, just, just in that five, six weeks of fall ball, it was exactly what I wanted. It was a baseball program and a guy who valued effort 
um, and team and doing things the right way. And, and so this ethics award is, is, you know, the other thing that's neat about it, like everything in life, it really has very little to do with me and a lot to do with the people I was influenced by. Because if you get in, in including my current coaches, because if you're around a bunch of coaches that are doing things wrong, you're not going to, your name is not going to come up anywhere near the word ethics. So uh, I'm, I'm very, very blessed and very thankful and, and well aware of those blessings. Did that shift your mentality as a player at all? Coach Moore tells you that, hey, I'd like for you to coach at some point. Did that shift your mentality at all as a player? Not really, because, you know, I was, I was, I mean, I was a guy who was, was trying, you know, writing up scouting reports and, and, you know, when I was 12 and 13 at these minor league games and, and I was watching games on TV and videotaping on VHS and charting pitches. My oldest, my oldest brother um, is about six years older than me. So, you know, he's in college and he would send me notes, you know, very great, thankful to him. He was sending me notes on hitting like handwritten on notebook page. He played a seminal junior college in Sanford, Florida. Again, you know, Coach Pontelli is a kind of a legendary JUCO coach. So, you know, I'm reading this stuff when I'm in seventh and eighth grade about hitting and when your hands go back. And, you know, it's, that's before there were these podcasts and all that stuff. So I was wired that way, I think. Um, and I had been, I had bat boyed in a minor league team for forever when I was a young kid. So I knew the clubhouse and I knew the, the kind of the, the whole lifestyle. And, um, so yeah, it, it didn't really change it. It crushed my dreams. I thought I was going to be a first rounder. So I thought, man, I might not be able to coach with you till I'm 40, but, um, but no, it just, it, it really, it, it, it instilled in me that I was in the right place. And, uh, because I wanted to go to a baseball school, my goal was to go to a school and I actually called your dad, you know, Evansville was, a, was a place I looked into. I called Notre Dame. I called San Diego state. I called Delta state. I had a bunch of connections with minor league guys that I had, you know, bat boyed for and gotten to know and talk to. So I had my list, man. And this is before the internet. So I'm making calls and, um, you know, I called coach Dietz at San Diego state. He answered the phone. He goes, Hey, do you mind if I call you back? Um, I'm in the dugout. We're just about to start an inter-squad game. It was the fall of my senior year. And lo and behold, hey, he called me back about three hours later and we had a nice talk. But um, yeah, so, so I was definitely, definitely, this was what I wanted to do. It was a passion I had. Um, just just people and, and the story behind each person and how to get different personalities to, to meld together and care about similar things. I love you know, the diversity of the game. It was fun for me as a kid being around uh, the Dominicans and being able to talk Spanish and, and uh, you know, Larry Doby Jr. played. So I got the story of his dad from him, you know, and I was too young to really take in the magnitude of that, but just the history of that game and the stories of people and valuing everybody. Um, th those are things that I saw early on that Coach Morey did is he didn't discount me because I had a rough freshman season and I'm an undersized first baseman. He valued my effort. He valued, we did feedback on what the lineup should be, what the depth chart should be. He valued, I didn't find this out till later, but he valued that, I mean, I put myself as a third on the depth chart at first base. I mean, there were two guys clearly better and he valued just uh, how I went about and who I was really and, and what my personality and what I brought to the table. So I, that was that was pretty special. What stuck out to you then when you first started coaching? Cause you've been around it and what were some things maybe that you didn't expect when you first started coaching? Um, well, you know, the first thing was division one baseball is a different animal than NAI baseball and NAI baseball is a good quality brand of baseball, but the physicality and the speed of the game is, is quite different. And so we played division one schools. So I saw right away, 
on any given day in baseball, anyone can beat anyone, no question. And But day after day after day, Division One baseball is different. And I loved that about it, man. I loved it. And I loved every single day talking. I love coaching high school baseball, and that was my end goal. But, man, I almost got lured into college baseball because it was every day talking the game. And, and uh, I, I enjoyed the recruiting part of it and trying to get the right fit of kid. Um, but on the other hand, I enjoyed high school where you don't get your picks and you deal with your kids, man, and, and you meet them where they're at and try to take them uh, to where they, they think they need to go or where you think they need to go. But that was one. And I think the other was just, you know, this came to me a little slower, but just communication being such an integral part of it and not assuming anything. Um, and I was very close in age and I'm 21 years old and just graduating. I'm coaching guys that are my age. Um, and it was neat, you know, coach Maury did me right, man. He gave me some responsibility. He didn't micromanage, you know, as he saw that I could handle it. Um, you know, then, then he gave me more and he wasn't afraid to give me feedback and be honest with me and continue to just coach me up and invest in me. And, um, you know, again, I'll be forever indebted to what he meant to me um, and, and continues to mean to me because not only did he do that and provide me a really safe environment to grow as a young coach because he had the respect of all his players. So it was pretty easy to be an assistant coach. You didn't have to deal with discipline too much. Um, but he also introduced me to so many people starting, you know, with the ABCA. And when we were at the ABCA and, you know, whether it be your dad or, you know, any number of coaches uh, and not just the big namers, man. And that's the beautiful part of the ABCA. There are so many special people there that, that are not headline type names, but that just love the game, know the game, you know, Jim Martz, an old scout and, and coach directed me so that when I was out at games, you know, to hang around with the right people, I feel like I have a good head on my shoulders, but it's good to have another guy to bounce it off of. And, you know, when you surround yourself with those, those guys, you, you learn, not only the game, but how to conduct your business. And that goes back to this award, you know, you're shaped by all those people that you encounter. And, and uh, Coach Maury was the leader of that. Get your first head coaching job. What were some of the resources you used as a young head coach? Um, well, certainly Coach Erickson, Coach Maury. Coach, coach Maury had played for Coach Gillespie. So, you know, when I was coaching college, I mean, I sat down with Coach Gillespie a lot. And well, the other part, and this might be, I'm not trying to dodge that question at all, but I, you know, the other thing I loved about Coach Maury that I do today is, you know, if I'm in high school, I sit down with our coaches every year, but especially when I bring them on staff, what are your goals? And if your end goal is to continue to just be the freshman coach, that is awesome. You can make a huge impact there. If it's to be a head varsity coach, that doesn't threaten me. I want to know that and I want to do everything in my power and to help you achieve that. Um, but be the best assistant or freshman or JV coach you can be until that opportunity presents itself and coach Maury really really did right by me there too is he never tried to hold me back I mean I was very passionate about learning and reading and going to these clinics and growing and talking to other coaches and um, he 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 encouraged that and um, you know so reaching out to those people sitting down with coach Gillespie time after time and Dusty Rhodes you know who was at North Florida at the time um, you know, and, uh, you know, Dusty then connected me with Bob Shaw. And, and so you, you create this network of, of people. It's not a network to get the next job. It's a network to pick their brain to say, man, you're passionate about it. And so am I, please talk and let me just ask questions. And uh, there were so many people. And so I have not lost that. Um, 
I, I need that to this day. And, you know, everyone has something they can offer me as a coach. The younger coaches, I love to hear what they feel is, is most pertinent to kids today because they have a better touch with that than I do as I'm getting older, you know, so every, and, and they have different ideas on things that, you know, maybe we get too ingrained in certain things. So a skill that I really try to work on, yeah, I've tried to work on this every year, but now especially is you really need to be mindful of what you change uh, as you get, but you need to make sure you continue to evolve and don't get stuck in this has been successful, but you can't just change for the sake of change either. So I have quality coaches that challenge me to this day and in both on staff and, and people that I uh, communicate with consistently. What'd you take with you from the college side then to the high school side? What'd you bring with you? Um, the organization for sure. Um, the structure and the organization. Um, and because, you know, also at Xavier at that time, Skip Prosser was the basketball coach. So I went to all of their practices and he, he was awesome. He was a huge baseball fan, Pirates fan, big Roberto Clemente fan. And, and I love Roberto. And so um, we had some great talks, but his practice is so crisp and so organized. Coach Maury too, you know, so Coach Maury, and that's, 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 these are some great questions, Ryan, because as I go through, I mean, I look at it as there are, there are people who have influenced me that have been there all the time. My parents, Coach Erickson, a few youth people in my community, um, you know, Coach Maury, of course. Um, and, and so those are, the, those are really the Mount Rushmore's. But then there's those sites along the way when you're heading to Mount Rushmore that are really special. And that's people like your dad and Coach Gillespie, who I probably spent, you know, I mean, your dad, I probably spent six, eight times talking with him, but always with Coach Maury. So I was just always a fly on the wall and there's no better place to be in those types of conversations. And that's the ABCA at its core uh, is that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's those guys that it's the hitting coach you know, the roving instructor, you know, Bobby Winkles was a roving instructor when I was young with the White Sox. And so talking to him and I was just a kid, so I'm not taking notes to coach. I'm just want to play. And he's giving me little tidbits and Eddie Matthews was with the Oakland A's and he comes to Appleton. But then it's the roving instructors that you never know that would be awesome. And I would sit out with them as they're working with players. Um, and so, you know, those are all. And then there's the guys you'd never really meet, but you hear you know, the John Scalinas of the world and you hear him speak or the Augie Garritos or the Ken Revisas and, and, uh, and those guys add, you know, Ken Revisas added, you know, as much to, to my coaching style and knowledge and careers as really anyone that is not in that Mount Rushmore of, of, uh, people. You Har know? Harvey Dorfman was that for me. Yeah. Dorfman yeah, was right. around before Ken was and, I was playing in that time when Mental Aspects of Baseball came out. Harvey Dorfman, never met him. He's not with us anymore either, but I owe my college career to Harvey Dorfman. He completely changed my mentality as a, as a player. Those books, all of them changed, completely yeah. changed me for the better. Um, well, that's a great, that's a great name. Yeah. He was, he was spoke at the first clinic I went to too. And I read all those books. So that's, yeah, that's awesome. Nine state and we tournament. Keep that in mind, you know, that's that's the humility of this job. Is you know, you don't do it on purpose, but man, if you're doing things right, you you impact people you don't even know, and that's pretty special. And I want our players to know that too. You know, they're no better than anyone else just because they can hit a ball, but they're impacting kids right now that they don't even know. And they I, I have a group chat with guys way younger than me. We started this outfield hot stove. It's not ABCA affiliated, but. That baseball group chat that I have on my cell phone, those guys are way younger than me, and I pick up so much from those guys. So shout out to the outfield hot stove guys that I group chat with. They're awesome. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's it's great. That's the best thing about the organization and baseball in general. Um, 
I got to find an underground channel to get in that group chat. Man. <laughs> I, I can slide you in. <laughs> uh, you've had nine state tournament trips, two state titles. Um, were those teams any different than the ones you've coached or things just hit right? You know, talk a little bit about those, those two state title teams. Um, what, what hit right? What was special about those two teams? Um, yeah, you know, the, the thing that's, the thing that we try to measure that, you know, I got from Ken Revisa is that we just we just had a talk with some of our guys this morning. And our goal every year is to not just be in the same section of the bookstore or in the same genre of book, you know, or in the same book or in the same chapter or on the same page or on the same paragraph or on the same line is to be on the same word. So we're always trying to work to get to know each other better so we can be on that same word. And, and obviously when you win a state championship, it's gotta be all hands on deck unless you're so unbelievably talented and you play in probably a, a not a real great parody type of situation that you can win it. But when you're playing with parody and, and quality teams and Wisconsin has some great baseball. Um, and I think in the last several years, people, you know, more and more people, I mean, I think guys like your dad and coach Maury and, you know, Coach Gillespie, they've realized that for years, that it, there were a lot of hidden gems of just guys that hadn't had enough. We had you know, great reps. players at Iowa from Wisconsin. When no I was doubt. coaching at Iowa, Curtis Smaller was one of my favorite players of all time. Sun Prairie, just unbelievable Prairie, player. And Sun Prairie is one of the historic programs. You know, I played at Appleton West and Sun Prairie, and those are two of the more historic, prog historic programs. And Rob Hamilton does a phenomenal job uh, coaching at that, at that level. But we have great baseball here. Um, and so yeah, you, you have to have all hands on deck when you're, when you're winning. And I think what, what was, let me just diverge from that for one second. The, when I coached at, I, so my first head coaching job was at Oshkosh North High School, which is in the same conference I'm currently in, which is in the same conference as Appleton West, which is my alma mater. So it's a great baseball conference. And I, I get this job and it is a, it's a program that had, I think, two wins the previous three years. So I think they were like one in 20 and one in 19 and, 0 and 20 and then I took over the in that very first year we had a a young group of kids and, and we won six games um so we were six and 14. now if you'd have told me as a young coach I knew I never had all the answers but I was pretty confident I mean I I feel like I I know what I'm doing and and I've learned and I put a ton of sweat equity into not just from when I started coaching but I'm you know like your question man when I was playing I was always studying the game and this was before video and I was still watching video and and so I think I'm ready and um but I would have said yeah that's not good but I was so proud and so pleased and still am that's still one of the neatest teams I've ever been a part of because that was all hands on deck and we played you know, and again, it's only something a true baseball guy could understand, but we're, we won a game late in the year in 10 innings against a team that had won the state championship two years earlier, a really historic program, Fond du Lac High School. You know, Marty Paulson's a longtime guy, spoke at the ABCA a few times, and, and we won a game in 10 innings on a Saturday morning after getting beat in seven in uh, extra innings the previous night. Um, and the way we won, it just was toughness. It was belief in a system. It had nothing to do with the scoreboard. It was nothing to do about pouty stuff. And that's really what we what we aim for as coaches. Um, and the wins, you know, the wins happen, and sometimes it's luck, and sometimes it's what you do. And but you got to do everything in your power to control so you can be in that situation in that environment. And so, when we won our first state championship, we lost 
the last game of the conference to lose out on a share of the conference championship, which would have been Kimberly's first conference. So at Oshkosh North, that group then went on to win a conference championship, which was the first conference championship ever at Oshkosh North. Well, then the following year, I left and came to Kimberly. So that group is special. And, you know, that first conference win at Oshkosh North. And one of those guys is coaching for me. And one guy's flying fighter fighter uh, jets in the in the Air Force and just a great group of kids. So I had to come over to Kimberly and they were pretty good, but they just needed a little bit more, you know, they were like good enough. You know, it's it's perfectly good as the is the evil of great. And that's kind of where we were at. So it was we had some great coaches here, Tim Handrich, Tom Carney, some guys that backed what I wanted to do and uh, supported what I wanted to do. And we held kids accountable to the work of saying good is not as good as great. And yet we were still kind of hesitant at times in, in games and we played on our heels a little bit. Well, we lose uh, a nine nothing lead to lose a share of the conference championship to end our conference season. And we go into the tournament and I had a conversation the following practice with our team of that's it. We got to learn from that. That's about as bad as it gets. But what's really bad is we did it because we played on our heels and you should never be afraid to, to look in the mirror if, if you lose going all out, but not because you're playing on your heels. And we went in and we won. We, I think we turned like 11 double plays um, and, and some one run games like you wouldn't believe. And we got punched in the mouth a few times early in the state tournament, came back with some come from behind wins and won a state championship. And, and that was a, a really cool, close knit group that, that finally got it, that what the process means. And I think that set the table for those following runs. And, and then, uh, you know, we had some really great games that we lost the state championship game. You know, we lost three of them. We won two and we've lost three. And those were games three to one, two to one, five to two, you know, just really good games. And then we've won some close ones. So um, we've had some special guys that ego doesn't win the day. The team does. And so, you know, we got a kid playing. He was a backup quarterback at Wisconsin right now. He's one of our best players. And team guy to the hilt and so story upon story Scott Schreiber who played at Nebraska Brad Schreiber played at Purdue you know Will Randerson Bryce Bell and a whole bunch of guys it was always about what's best for the team we do and so that's that's been special as a coach what do you feel like helps your players the most um listening to them asking them questions listening to them and and then being transparent of where we're going um you know, they can drive a little bit on where they're going, but the head coach has some say on that. You know, if they want to be a third baseman, but we need a second baseman, we need to have that conversation. If they want to hit fourth, but they're hitting ninth or they're getting DH four, they need to hear why. Uh, they don't need to like it, but they need to understand it. And so I think just listening to them and, and um, you know, I think when, when the day is done, Dave Kylett's ethics and coaching award or not, I want my players to be able to, tell other people he cared about us and, and he worked and did everything in his power to make it the best experience for us as he possibly could along with his staff. And if, if that's the case, this, this award is, is a special award as I've ever gotten, but it still is just an award. And um, the people the impact is really what matters. And so when, when, when players feel that way, that stems from hundreds of conversations, you know, over their time, and that's the beauty of high school. You know, when I said before about college high school, I love working with these kids when they're in kindergarten and then you're coaching them. It also makes it harder because sometimes they don't make the grade. 
and you're giving them horrible news and you've known them for 10 years, but that's, that's life. And if you're honest, that's all you can control and they have to control how they receive that information. Flip side of that, what helps them the least? Um, fitting them into a box, you know, not treating them as, as individuals as much as we preach team and, and believe that. And we don't just preach it, man. We try to live it, but they're individuals. And the beauty of a team is when individuals set aside, you know, their own goals at times, not all the time, but at times for the greater good. And isn't that what we all need to do in our life? Sometimes we got to set aside our wants for our spouse's wants or for our children's or for the community or for whatever. And so um, it's probably fitting them into a box or, or not listening to them and, and assuming that you know what they're thinking. Um, I think that helps them the least. Or, or probably even more than that is lack of preparation and wasting their time. Um, just rolling the balls out and acting like you know what you're doing. You wear two hats now. You're also the athletic director. So what do you, what helps the other coaches in the, the school with the other programs? What helps them the most? Uh, same listening to them, um, listening to them and, and, uh, building that trust, you know, that communication, because I think our coaches by and large, you know, and again, it's always a work in progress, right? Culture is the way we do things around here and it has to be worked like recruiting. It's got to be dealt with every single day and every single minute of every single day, your culture is either being built or it's being torn down. And, and so um, it's not always easy. It's not always fun, but I, I, I do believe just like I said with my players, I think when you talk to our coaches, they know I'm going to be honest with them. Uh, they know I'm going to support them within reason. I can't just blindly support them. I got to know what they're doing and why. And uh, if I disagree with it, we got to be able to hash that out. And at the end of the day, there are certain decisions they need to own that I have to support. And there's other ones that, you know, they need to trust me that they need to do it a certain way in order for me to support it. Um, so those conversations, I think, help them the most, that they know that I'm going to work with them, uh, that I'm going to trust them, that I'm going to support them, that I'm going to help them any way I can. And you talked about it. How do you balance what is best for your players as opposed to what's best for the program? Yeah, great question. Um, that varies tremendously. You know, and I think that comes from conversations. I don't have all the answers all the time, but I too believe, like we heard in droves after the World Series, we have to trust the metrics to a point, but I'm going to use my gut. And if you tell me I can't use my gut at times, I don't want to coach because that's part of it. And it's part of why I feel I have an edge uh, coaching is because Coach Morey prepared me as a game coach, too. So building relationships is key. Um, hey, it's, and it's do you know why it's called going with your gut? Because they're, they're different brain centers in certain parts of your body. So over time, that's an actual thing. Through experience, that sixth sense that you have in your gut gets better through experience. So that's an actual thing, like going with your gut. So somebody that's been in the game for 20 years, they can make some decisions on the fly because their intuition has been built up where a younger guy maybe can't do that because they don't get that sense. But yeah, you have a brain center in your stomach. So that actually develops. That's where that term comes from. Go with your gut because you have a brain, center. You have a brain center in your stomach. That's cool. I'm going to have to read about that a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. So I definitely want to do that, you know, and again, that's where I feel like, you know, Coach Morey prepared me really well to be a, a game coach as well. So again, Chris Burke spoke at the ABCA, uh, you know, several years ago, and I, one of his top five, you know, things was you have to know the game. 
And, and I brought that back. That helped me as a coach and it helped me as an athletic director because we, one of our uh, missions here at Kimberly High School is, you know, we want to win kids' hearts more than winning games. So we absolutely want to be transformational. And I don't want any part of transactional relationships in coaching or in any other part. But a lot of people are transactional people. And uh, we want transformational. So, but if you go too far on that, and we think, well, we're building these relationships. Well, if you're not building them as players, that's why they're on your team. They want to get better in baseball. If they're in my Winning, winning's class, important also. I mean, I, I think right. th- that's part of having a good experience as well as being successful. I think successful, you know, they say it, winners win. There's that balance of, okay, we have to develop people for sure, but we also can't lose sight that we also do want to win games as well. No question about it. And, and if you don't, I don't think you can hold up what you're doing is having much merit. And that's where I think as a young coach or even a, a veteran coach, you need to be able to self-reflect and you need to be able to um, assess what you have without selling them short and without trying to trying to oversell. Um, but you need to be able to communicate with your guys of here's what we're trying to do. And I think, so you go back to that Oshkosh North team and what I think those kids saw and felt was we were prepared we were busting our tail. You know, Iowa State football guy came out the other day after they beat Texas, you know, and said something along. I think it was, um, we have a five-star culture and they have five-star players. recruits. <laughs> yeah, five-star <laughs> players, yeah. And so, you know, that's that part of, I don't, I don't like putting our players down and that's a rule we have as our coaches. I don't ever want to hear us, in, you know, now if we're in a closed-door meeting just as a staff, we can talk about players' weaknesses, but we're not bashing our players to other coaches. Ah, oh, our guys aren't any good. That's why we're getting beat. You know what? We're a team. And so if anyone's putting anyone down, that's our culture. That's how we do things around here. And we can cut it however we want, but that becomes our culture. And so I don't have any patience for that. There's not a time for it. It takes our energy off of progressing our culture. And, and that's a, a second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day thing. And so and that's um, taking extreme ownership. I mean, I, I don't know how much you pay attention to Jacko Willink, um, you know, he, he's written the book Extreme Ownership, and yep. that's what it's about. He was in the, he was with the SEALs. He was SEAL team leader, and he talks about it a lot. And ultimately, it falls on you. Like, whether things go good or bad, ultimately, as the leader, it falls back to you. So you have to take ownership of that. No matter what's going on, you have to take ownership of it. And that, that's a hard thing to do at times, but ultimately, it falls back to you as the leader of the program that, that I have to take ownership of it, no matter what's going on with the program right now. Yeah, no question. No question. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do, especially, you know, just like everything else in our society, social media makes it easy and, or, you know, to bash somebody or makes it hard to focus on the task at hand because you hear all the noise on the outside. You truly have to be focused and committed and invested. And that's why you have to have the right, right kids um, and the right staff. If you're, if you don't, it's not worth, it's not worth that. And, and, you know, it's not worth dealing with, um, you know, all of the drama of, and yet saying that we're trying, you know, we're going to be a team yet. You have to try to progress guys. So, um, have you watched yeah. the test yet? The documentary, the test on, um, Australian cricket on test cricket. No, uh-uh. it's fascinating, but sh- short story, Jeremy Langer takes over. He played for the national team, but he takes over as their head coach. They had a ball scuffing scandal before he got there. So they had to, they, kicked their captain off the team. They fired their head coach because it like it shamed like the whole country, the whole nation of Australia because they were scuffing the ball to get wow. it to move. So 
the entire time he's talking, it's eight episodes, he talks about white noise, all eight episodes about getting rid of the white noise and eliminating all the white noise that's going on outside. Like, it's every episode he talks about eliminating white noise. Oh, that's cool. What's the name of that? The test? It's called The Test. Okay. And I actually put some videos out because they, they're bowlers. That's what their pitchers are called, are bowlers. They were doing target practice to see who was going to pitch. So they were doing target practice for points. It actually equated pretty well to pitching, like having guys try to rifle through spots. Um, there's some really good uh, – they talked about routines. The, the best cricket player in the, in the world has this set routine that he does before every time he steps up to the plate. So I, I videotaped it. It's, it's awesome. I've, I've actually sent it out on Twitter for anybody that, that maybe doesn't follow me. If you dig back uh, probably two, three weeks ago, I watched it. I got it from Justin Toole, who played for me at Iowa, who's on the big league staff with the Indians. Jeremy Langer talked to the Indians organization. So he Justin said he was fascinating. And so I actually watched that through because of Justin Toole. And it was, I ripped through eight episodes in two days. And that's how wow. much I, I loved it. But yeah, it, it was all the things that you, you like as a coach with just from a culture, setting a culture, setting a standard. Um, and that's what he talked about, like bringing pride back to the national cricket team for the country as a whole. Um, they did some really cool team building stuff. So it's, it's a good eight episodes to dive in because they went to some areas where, you know, Australian soldiers had died. It just he brought he brought a culture and just a, a pride for Australia itself back to to the test cricket team. It was great. So it's yeah, it's it's a great watch for anybody that's listening in. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll watch that. All right. Now, as an athletic director, how do you balance is it the same thing? How do you balance what's best for the athletic department as opposed to what's best for the individual programs in your athletic department? Yeah, lots of conversations. You know, obviously some some priority work, um, you know, visionary work. You have to have a vision um, and, and there's got to be a, a method to the madness. But at the end of the day, you have. 22 coaches that want what's best for their program, just like you do on a roster. You know, you want guys that want what's best for themselves. And you just, so, you know, what we said in our, our baseball program and we use it with our coaches is if you want to be the best player you can be and our program to be the best it can be, or if you want your program to be the best it can be and our athletic department to be the best it can be, we're going to have very little longstanding, probably no longstanding issues. We'll have some disagreements, we'll have some arguments, um, We'll have some times where we just got to part ways and take 24 or 48 hours and then come back. Uh, and we don't want to avoid those things, man. Those are healthy, productive things. When it gets unhealthy is when we're, when we're not owning that and saying that everything's fine when it really is building up inside. So just understanding coach. And again, it goes back to conversations and communication, just conversations of what is the next step for your program. And then what do you need to get there? And then how are we going to do it? And so um, that's, that's big. How are you showing like healthy examples of healthy confrontation? Are you showing them examples or are you just talking about it? Because um, I agree with you. I think confrontation is healthy as long as you handle it right, as long as it just doesn't fester over and carry over into the next day, into the next day. You know, do you show them examples or you just talk about, hey, we may get into it, but then we're going to hug it out and, and we come out united after that? Yeah, it's a good, that's a great point. Yeah, I, I haven't shown examples of healthy confrontation. What I've tried to do, and I, you know, I, I think I may try to do that. I think that's a good idea because obviously there's certain coaches, you maybe have a few more of those than what you do with others. And you hit it off maybe a little bit easier. Your personalities are in place with others. What I've tried to live is that 
you do move on. And it's not a grudge that I'm going to hold and, and just continue to follow with them like, like you would a player, you know. Um, I learned from but, my dad and brother. I saw those two have some of the worst knockdown drag out fights with each other in closed door meetings. And five minutes later, it was like nothing happened. And it was over that's, with. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, yeah. So I think them seeing that, that is, that's a good point is, is just getting, you know, that is because if you don't have that, it doesn't, doesn't work. And I even think showing my play, I don't, I don't even think I've shown my players any of that. And I think it would be healthy for them to see, especially as I get older, because what I've tried to enforce to our players is don't, you know, they don't get any of it. Now they look at their phone, they look at their computer. They don't, they don't understand what, that does that human interaction. And so they get bristled by it and they've never had to really work through any of that. So it does bring quite a bit of stress to them. And, um, you know, that, that psychological safety now with the Gen Z is a huge thing. I had to spend a lot of time explaining to guys like that, Hey, we may get into it and it may look ugly at times, but after that, it doesn't mean that I don't love you and that I don't care for you. It's just, this is going to happen sometimes and you're probably not used to it and that's okay, but that's how we have healthy confrontation and then we come to a resolution and that's how we actually grow. It's a great, great opportunity for growth to have no confrontation doubt. and work through it. That trust really bonds through that. You're right. Yeah. What about young coaches getting into it? I mean, you've been doing a long time. You're extremely successful. What about young coaches that are thinking about getting into the profession? Um, we need you. Yeah. Uh, we need quality, quality young, young people, um, male or female. And, and I would just, I, w I would say, um, you know, I think just like players, there's no right way to coach. There's, there's no wrong way. There's some wrong things to do and there are some right things to do, but lots of things can work for you and not work for me. Um, so I think you need to know who you are. Uh, you know, as a person starts with that. And then you have to have a passion. Um, I, I, I find it hard. I think you can be, I mean, I've seen successful coaches and they've surrounded themselves with the right pieces. You can be successful without being a relationship guy or, or woman. Um, but then you better surround yourself with some really good, um, you know, relationship people. But, you know, I, depending on what level you're at and, and those types of things, I think you need to know who you are you need to know the reasons why you're in it. And then you need to, you need to really, really want to work. Um, and I think the, the humility part is key to me. I think, I think it's so easy to get swayed. If you win to think you're all that, um, and, and vice versa. It's so, and that's, everybody knows this, you know, don't believe them when they tell you how great you are and don't believe the people who tell you how horrible you are, but you really need that, that, uh, and I think what got me through some of that was, again, my inner circle and my passion for the game of baseball and, and not just the game. And I love the game. I love it. But you know what? I love BP and I love the locker room before and I love the bus rides and I love cleaning the field after the game and I love practices and I love camps and I love, you know, so all of that stuff. And not everybody's wired that way. So but that's who I am. And so um, I would say you got to know who you are. You got to be willing to work. Um, and I think if you have some of that laser focus, 
and, and I think probably the final thing, and it's not the only thing, but the final thing would be value what your players and your staff say and feel, and then everyone else will fall in line. There's going to be lovers and there's going to be haters, but within your locker room, what are those people saying? Um, and, and that's really what matters in, in continuing. I don't think we can ever listen to our players enough. Um, but then they also have to know we're not going to listen to them every second of time. They have something to say, you know, there's times where we got to go and play and that's the trust and faith and, and everything else. And I got to trust you to, to pitch and not micromanage you or hit, but you also got to trust some of the decisions and don't be, don't be second guessing every single thing. So having that, that ability to, to kind of command that through your, through your actions from your team. And I've seen you on the other side. I've seen you as a parent. So what are some tips for high school parents out there? I've seen you. You were good. You were a good parent. When I was out recruiting and I'd watch you and your son was playing, you were a good parent because you were just sitting on the bench and, and you're on the bleachers just chilling. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I darn well try to be a good parent. Um, you know, I think my message to parents would be it's, it's, their, it's their career. You know, it's their experience. And when I say career, really, it's their experience, whenever that ends, if it's nine or 10 or whatever, but allow them to, to drive it. And you can question them or, or, you know, ask them about certain things. And I think, I think where I try to parent, and I think coaching has helped me with this, is try to ask your kids, and they don't always know, especially when they're younger, but what do you want out of this? Why is it that you're doing this? And then hold them accountable to that. If they say they want to start, well, then make sure they're working. If they want to play on their high school team, then try to help them identify what that means, even if you don't know. I mean, if my daughter says she wants, you know, she's one of my daughters is in gymnastics, I have no idea. But I do know it takes work practice and trying to surround yourself with, with quality people. And, but being your own best coach and, and learning the drill. So she's 12 and she's got to know what she's supposed to do. And if she doesn't know, she's got to find out. And uh, so parents just need to enjoy that. You know, again, I, I would say this too. I tried to, and I've not always been. It goes fast, right? I mean, my, I've got a senior and a sophomore, and I, it goes fast. Everybody says it, but you don't realize it. And you look up, and I, I'm gonna have one in college next year, and that's um, <laughs> that's insane to me that I have I'm gonna have a college freshman next year. It is. It does go fast. I try to keep that grandparent rule. And you know, that was a study done years ago at Stanford. You know, who do you want to drive home with? And 80 percent of the kids said the grandparent, because what are the grandparents already been through it, man? They got the perspective. It's about the uh, Gatorade or the ice cream or taking them for a, a burger or whatever and just t talking about things other than the game and so that's that's hard to do when you're a coach and it's hard to do when you're a parent but I think that's that's pretty true do you have a fail forward moment along the way something that you thought maybe was going to set you back but you look back now maybe the best thing that ever happened to you um man I've had a lot of those <laughs> uh thankfully I have had a lot of those uh, as a as a player, you know, one of my fail forwards. So, you know, when I went to St. X, Coach Maury was great. Our pitching coach was Mike Dooley, another great guy. But he, but he, you know, he kind of always wanted a big power hitting first baseman. Well, after my freshman years, when Coach Maury went to Xavier, and I had hit about a buck fifty, and uh, you know, I was a defensive, pretty good defensive player, but I only got in about eighteen games or nineteen games, and um, had a less than stellar freshman collegiate season and certainly was not what coach Dooley would would have wanted to recruit in a college first baseman so he took over as a head coach and so my sophomore year was kind of subpar now that's kind of a long drawn out fail it forward but that was one of those I failed quite a bit my freshman year 
it would have been easy to leave after my freshman year. And I had several, you know, players that I played with, to, you know, try to get me to leave to come somewhere else to play. And uh, I just said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm staying. I think this is the right fit and I got to work through it. There's nobody to blame. I'm better than this. And I, you know, if I get opportunity and coach Dooley was great, gave me, gave me opportunity or I earned opportunity and, and I uh, was a two-year captain in that program. And um, cause so, by the way, if you dip out, coach Maury doesn't hire you at Xavier. Yeah. I, that's no right. chance. No chance. No at all. chance. He hires you at Xavier. If you dipped out. Yep. Yeah. So there, there've been moments like that. Um, that I think, you know, all those decision type things, but that was one, I think from a coach standpoint, you know, that losing that nine less lead, that, that was me for sure. I mean, that was all on me, you know? Yeah. The players, played what would, a little bit what would you have want done different in that game? Quite a, quite a few things. Um, you know, I made a certain pitching change that I went to done. Um, and, and I would have, I would have had a better conversation with our players in between innings to try to get their mind right. Um, instead of letting them try to figure out now in the, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think we win a state championship if we don't go through that experience. I really don't. Um, but yeah, I would definitely, if, if it was just that game and you're not saying, well, what's going on before. And, and whenever we're in a game, we're, we're, we're in the moment, I would, I would have done the pitching change for sure differently. And, and, uh, a conversation with, with our guys in a, in a, in a better timing and a, and a better message, um, for sure. I have two frame pictures behind me. One is my senior year state championship, but same thing. We lost my junior year, and I, if we had had not have lost that game, I don't think we win my senior year at Memorial High School. I don't think it happens. The other one's Peter Gammons signed picture with Peter Gammons when I was coaching in the Cape. So those are the two. Oh, that's cool. Pictures behind me. Yep, that's awesome. What any you're busy, 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 busy. What morning or evening routines do you have that you really like that you feel like help you stay on top of your schedule? Um, biggest one in the morning is reading, just taking some quiet time and reading a couple devotions and, and some Bible time. Um, I value that and I think it keeps me grounded. Hard copy um, or you read app app for the Bible. You know, I've tried, I tried the app. I'm a hard copy. I am too. I have to read, I have to have the hard copy book. I have to. Yeah. You know, cause I'm kind of a notes guy and I'll jot some comments and then I'll look something up to, to do a little research on, on how it worked out. And, um, yeah, so that's that. Uh, and then, uh, the, the other thing I like, you know, I work out in the morning as well. So I usually get up, you know, probably around four ten, you know, four o'clock, four ten do my quiet time and, and be lifting by five fifteen. Um, you lift every workout. day, lift every day. Yeah. I try to go five. I don't do Saturday, Sunday typically. Um, but yeah, I try to do the five days of the week. Any cardio? Um, yep. Yep. I'll do some, some, and I usually do that on the weekends. I mean, I'll do, I do some CrossFit stuff, kind of a blend of, of different things, but, um, straight cardio where I just go for a run. I do that you know, in the summer, I'll do it anytime that I have open, but in the winter or something, I'll try to do it on the weekends. Um, my younger girls will ride their bike with me or they'll, they'll do, you know, bring the dog or whatever, but I like that too. Any books outside of baseball and the Bible? Ooh, um, you know, probably, yeah. I mean, there are quite a few, I think, you know, for young coaches or veteran coaches, one of the ones that I really valued if, if you're in a marriage of any sort Uncommon Marriage by Tony Dungy. Really value that. I try to share that with our coaches here to 
it just really brings about a, a fresh perspective. You know, Lauren and Tony write that. And so it's like two or three pages of Lauren and then the same situation, it, you get Tony's perspective. And it's just, it, it again reiterates, it's kind of like those healthy confrontations. It's, they're two totally different people. He and Lauren are, he's very introverted and, and kind of quiet and conservative and she's pretty outgoing and, and talkative. And so, um, it's helped my own marriage. You know, I have a, I have an awesome wife, um, you know, who I've dated since high school and she's an athlete. So she gets, she played basketball at Marquette and, uh, she's just a solid, was a valedictorian in her high school class and physical therapist. And she's just salt of the earth salad, you know, and uh, competitive as I'll get out. And, um, the so all, the all or nothing that. marriage is a good marriage book as well. Oh, really? The all or nothing marriage. Yeah. It talks about, good he's a scientist but talks about how kind of in the past that your marriage you had different you know you went to work and had that group of friends or you went you had more social friends and now everybody kind of puts all their eggs in one basket with one person and that may not always be realistic it's actually an interesting take on the institution of marriage I, I thought hmm. it was it was great it actually helped me quite a bit nice yeah. I'll look at that I liked um I liked uh, Talent Code's a good one. Yeah. Um, Coyle's then, uh, another guy. He he spoke to the Indians. Oh, That's, really? Yep, yep. Another guy that the Indians have, have brought in. Um, he's an advisor for the Indians also. Yeah, they're pre the Indians are pretty good about bringing in outside help and outside advisors. A lot of SEAL team stuff uh, hmm. and a lot of leadership stuff with guys outside of the baseball world. Nice. Yep. I'm on uh, Skin in the Game. It's kind of a financial book, but talks about how decisions without consequences, how it ruins society, which I agree. I think that's kind of where we're at. We're, we're in a place where people make decisions and don't think they have to have consequences for those decisions. And so uh, it's a great read. And then Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit, I think Power of Habit is one of the best books that you can read about developing habits and helping yourself develop good habits, but it's smarter, faster, better. It's got a lot of really good examples of team stuff. Um, like Disney talked about the, the movie Frozen and how they switched it and the kind of the team dynamics they switched to help get the movie made. Um, hmm. Uses an auto factory in California, was one of the worst in the world. And then this guy goes to Japan and figures out that if you let the, the linemen actually stop the line and, and get it fixed saves you way more than just letting cars roll through and then then they're broke down cars. So it's it's got a lot of really cool stories from a lot of different areas, but team setting stuff and and it's got some intriguing management stuff in that book. It's really good. He's a great writer. Right. Charles Duke's a great writer. He actually writes for the New Yorker. What about the virtual <laughs> clinic? You excited about the virtual clinic? Oh, I'm excited. You bet I am. Yeah, I'll tell you. That is going to be going to be awesome. And I think like, like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I think getting together with some coaches and, and watching and having those. So still trying to bring that flavor of having some of those conversations over a pizza with the speakers and, and the, the information that they bring to the table to mull over and feel which nuggets you feel could make your program better, you know, and that's another, you know, that's another piece of advice I'd have to any coach, but especially a young coach. And I remember sitting in the second row my first year, um, and it was 96 in Nashville. And I think, I don't know the order exactly, but that first morning session, it was, um, 
Don Kessinger and Mark Marquist talked on first base play. Kessinger talked on the double play. Um, guy for Texas A&M talked on outfield play. Later in that convention was, you know, Coach Gillespie spoke, but also John Scalinas and, um, you know, his, his famous 17 inches uh, conversation. But, but, you know, I think as you listen to that stuff, so I remember writing nonstop. I mean, literally nonstop notepads. I still have those notes. And last year during the pandemic, I went and kind of reorganized everything and put, in, put on a spreadsheet. You know, I've heard over, I think it was like 475 talks at, at the ABCA clinic. That's not talking any other clinic I've heard. And that's like, that's a lot of clinics to have gone to. And I go to almost every one of the talks. Um, but when you add those up, you're like, man, that's a big number. But you're writing everything down. And I remember Coach Morey not writing much. And then he would jot things once in a while. And I think that's the evolution of a coach too. I still write a lot because I would rather go back and nix it later than forget. Um, and I'm kind of a writer and, and then I see it and I process it better. But um, I think just when you're listening to that stuff, I think it's so important for coaches nowadays, especially someone getting into it and players too, to be overwhelmed with the, the amount of information. And this is not just in baseball, this is in life. And so we have to tether ourselves to foundational, what we call in our program, foundational principles. And then after that, man, if we lock those in, after that, you can have some freedom. But if we skip those, we're in for a long, long or a short road, I guess, if you want to call it that, it won't be real long. Um, and so just, just be good at listening, be good at deciphering, uh, critically think, um, the other nice part about the ABCA and I think baseball coaches in general is we are pretty open people. And, and I think we have to continue to not be judgmental. And, and that's where social media is a bad thing. Once in a while, you see some of these things where guys are ripping each other apart on Twitter. I get into some rants sometimes and then I'll, tr I'll catch myself and then I make sure that I, I reach out if I am going to engage and, and I try to at least DM them or try to at least get a different perspective on it. So it doesn't turn into something that it shouldn't be. It's so hard. Written word comes out so harsh when you read it. And that's probably not the context, but that's the way it comes across with the written word. When you read it, it's going to come off really harsh and like somebody's yelling at you. And that's where right. you have to either pick up the phone and call somebody. Because as soon as you get them on the phone, it's a completely different conversation with them. And, you know, that's where we've got to do better as a whole in social media of, handling it right there's some great things about it but there's also when it gets to be something that it shouldn't um just because people are bickering at each other that's where we've got to got to do a better job of opening up the lines of communication with everybody well and i think it would be neat with this year's um convention you know being virtual i there are, it's going to touch so many more people youth coaches and and they couldn't or don't have the means or the the resources uh to get there or they they just don't they don't know where to start. Cause again, the way that the ABCA has grown, it's a credit to you guys, um, you know, Craig and, and even Dave Hylas before Craig, just it's grown, uh, you know, as it should. I mean, and, but it's grown tremendously. And, and Craig's just done such a great job that if you go to the clinic by yourself, you talk about overwhelming, you know, you, and, and so the app is so helpful, you know, for the in-person one, but the, the app and in the, the, um, tweets and, and things that are being sent out for this year's are so helpful to just have people get their, you know, wrap their head, hands around it. And this, this year, I think so many people are going to be exposed to the, the quality of speaker we have, the diversity of topics, 
the range of levels that are spoken to youth and travel and high school and, and professional and strength training and throwing programs and just speed and, and just all the stuff. And then they have the exhibitors there to, to just look. I love the exhibit hall because it's passionate people who have products that they've put a lot of time and sweat and thought into that want to help promote the game. And so to talk to them, even if you end up not buying their product, but to talk to them and, and hear their story and, and hear what they have as a product, it makes you a better coach because you understand what's out there. And the more you understand what's out there, the more you can connect with your players because then if they've experienced it, you can relate to it and you can meet them where they're at. And so um, I'm really excited for that part of it, um, for more and more coaches to be in our community, uh, for a lot of our youth coaches to just be able to hear, even if they don't listen to 25 talks, if they listen to two. And, uh, and I'm, I'm anxious and excited to get together with coaching friends of mine to, to um, you know, discuss and debate and, and refine what we do. Well, the great thing now is everything's videoed, so you can always go back. You know, you don't have to. I I reminded the youth coaches last year in the youth area. I'm like, hey, these are all recorded, so write down some main points. But you can always go back if you felt like you missed something. Don't feel like you got to have your head down the whole time because, you know, back when you and I first got into it, nothing was videoed, so you did have to write a massive amount of notes to, to make yeah, sure right. you t kept track of everything. And now with, with everything being recorded, it uh, makes it much easier for the coaches showing up. Much yeah, easier. and so accessible and so easy to move back and forth within a talk and watch it four, five, six times without even it being it's, – it's unreal. So, yeah, it'll be neat. What are some final thoughts? Final thoughts? Oh, man. Um, just – you know, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate you you thinking enough to ask me to to be part of this. And um, you know, I'm thankful again, so thankful to the ABCA, um, to to Dave Kylitz and Craig Kylitz and and you and and the rest of the staff. You know, for all the work that you guys put in year round uh, to grow our game, the players within the game, and the and the coaches and the communities. And and so, um, I hope that that uh, we can continue to do that throughout our country and uh, internationally as well is just continue to grow this game because it, it parallels our life um, so well and gives us such a great platform um, to impact young people. And so, uh, you know, thanks so much. Obviously I'm, I'm extremely grateful and, and honored to receive the ethics and coaching award, but you know, I, I, I truly do feel that is not, not mine at all. Um, it is a, so many of the people that impacted me, starting with my parents and, and the coaches that I've had and, and people that have invested their time and their hearts into me. And so I'm, I'm grateful that I get the opportunity to invest in, in so many players over the years. And, and I hope to continue to do so for many, many years. So thanks for, you know, because again, among other things that the ABC has done for me is it is, it's not just in January when I come to the clinic but it's all the people that I've met that have continued because regardless of who we are. And I think I'm about as passionate about baseball as, as anyone could possibly be. But there are times when you start to get like, man, I don't know. And there's so many people of high class and high quality that have been my role models for me to look to, to call to, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really something that you can't imagine. I can't imagine my, my life without it. And that sounds really maybe corny or overly dramatic, but it's it's the dead dead honest truth. And uh, so thanks so much for all you guys do, and, and thanks for having me today.
Appreciate you, Coach. Thanks. All right. Thanks to Coach Spiegner and Coach McGinnis for jumping on with me. Congrats to both of them on their well-deserved awards. Once again, they both proved we have great coaches at every level all over the country. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via the email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Oh